excited about today because we are kicking off one of my favorite seasons, well, the favorite season of the year, namely our Advent season. Advent is a time for us uh, over these next few weeks uh, to anticipate Christmas. It's a season of uh, longing, a season of reflection, a season of meditation, and even introspection as we prepare for the celebration of Christmas, the celebration of God taking on flesh and dwelling with us. And so uh, if you're not familiar, uh, Advent is a sequence of the next four weeks uh, in, uh, leading up to and including uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, in some traditions, uh, it is customary to light Advent candles, which we'll actually do today, hence the candles right in front of me. And what we're going to do today is actually begin a, a brief look at what we're calling Cosmic Christmas. And the reason that we're calling it Cosmic Christmas is because we're looking at specifically the cosmic dimension or cosmic dimensions of the Christmas story. And in order to do this, I'm going to invite you to uh, today in particular to join me as we, uh, we explore some things that are a little bit strange to us. Uh, to put it another way, it's going to get weird. Okay? So, uh, and as many of you know, the holidays are especially great time for us to get weird. So in our weirdness, I just want to remind us uh, that we are, when we look at the Bible, when we study the scriptures, we are time-traveling tourists. Uh, we're time-traveling tourists. And the reason that I, I like to say it is because not only are we looking at a context that's back in time, uh, centuries back in time, but we're also tourists. It's in a, a culture that's completely different uh, than our particular cultural moment today. So it's important for us to remember that what may seem weird to us may not seem weird to those uh, who had written it or those who are hearing it being read aloud. And what may seem weird to us because of our distance in time and our distance in culture may not seem weird uh, to those who originally engaged with the text. And so we're going we're gonna to be time-traveling tourists. We're going to go and we're going to look at an ancient context. We're going to explore an ancient worldview, how these, uh, these ancient people, namely uh, the Jewish people, how they viewed and understood uh, the world, specifically uh, the cosmic or the divine uh, domain. Okay, come on, it's going to get great. Uh, so we're not only going to, we're going to be time travelers for us, and we're going to look at their worldview of how they understood power and evil in the divine realm. We're also going to listen to the song of a poor, rural, pregnant teenager that points us to the hope that she finds, even in the midst of her understanding of this uh, divine realm. And then finally, we are going to spend some time reflecting on what that hope, what her hope means for us today. And so, uh, oh, by the way, uh, as we're going through Advent, I wanted to just draw your attention. Uh, I think I mentioned this last couple of weeks. Uh, there's a, a, a brief uh, book available for you. It's called An Advent for the Cosmos. And it has uh, 25 reflections and meditations as well as some guiding questions uh, for, for each day leading up to Advent. So this is going to actually kick off here on the 1st of December. If you don't have a copy of this, uh, you can obtain one in, in your handout today. You should find a QR code or a link uh, to be able to purchase that on Amazon. Um, and for those of you that are joining us online, you can find that at dsbc.church winter. And again, it's an advent for the cosmos. I highly recommend this, uh, whether you're going to study it as an individual or as a family. It's an excellent commentary and look at the cosmic nature of Advent. And so let's take a look. So our series is called Cosmic Christmas. And in the context of the series, we're looking at uh, ancient Israel, specifically at the time just before 
Christmas time. So just right before Christmas time. And we're going to pick up the context in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Um, and for those of you joining us online, if you don't have a Bible available to you, just go to Bible.com. For those of you joining us in the room, uh, you can obtain a Bible if you don't have one on any of the tables in the back. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those as our gift uh, to you. And so we're going to pick up the story uh, at this moment where an angel, angelic messenger, appears to a young woman named Mary. And the context is this, that, that Mary is a poor, rural young woman who's living under the occupying force of the Roman Empire. And she uh, knew the history of her people was once the history of Israel. Uh, the people of Israel, they recognized that their people were once a mighty kingdom, but because of their rebellion, because they gave God the finger, uh, God had brought them low. And so what happened was, is that a bunch of occupying forces, so like Babylon, Persia, Greek, Roman, these occupying forces come in and occupy uh, what we today call the, the land of Israel. And so Mary is living in occupied territory. And what's the empire that's currently occupying Mary's territory? Rome. Rome. Y'all ever heard of it? Rome. Big deal? Little deal. Big deal. Okay, so Rome is such a big deal. So I just want you to notice, I want to drive, just make a little connection to today. Rome is so powerful and influential that if you go to Washington, D.C., you will find Latin everywhere as well as Roman architecture. The influence of Rome is so vast, not only has it influenced nations around the world, it's influenced our very own. And at the time of Mary, at the time of Luke chapter 1, the Roman Empire was the most powerful military regime that perhaps the world had known to that moment. So if you're being occupied by Rome, are things looking up for you or like not so great? Not so great, right? And I just want you to imagine, like just, just get ourselves in that mood, okay? So we're living in our home country, but it's being occupied by a foreign invader. And that foreign invader, Rome, maintains peace at the end of a spear. And so if you are an occupied, a citizen of the occupied territory, your life is under constant threat. You say one wrong word against empire and what's going to happen? And so Mary here is living amongst the people who have been brought low, that feel the very palpable oppression of the Roman regime. But what's interesting is this physical reality was also corollary to a spiritual reality, namely the moral decay of her people. So to put it another way, she understood, Mary understood, that there were political, economic, agricultural, social, judicial, religious, personal, relational, and spiritual dimensions to sin and suffering. For her and for her people, sin was not just a moral choice. The, the decay of evil was not simply felt as something internal to us, but rather the reality of evil, sin, and decay, it had implications to every aspect of life. Now, this is important. This is different for many of us. It's different for many of us in the West, so I want you to zoom in and remember, we are time-traveling tourists. So let's go. 
All right, so I'm going to read through the text. Uh, This is, we're going to pick it up uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. I'm just going to read all the way through. We're going to focus on one section. Then we're going to pivot, and we're going to listen to Mary's song, okay? Great, okay. Your ticket entitles you to the whole seat, but you are only going to need the edge of it because this is exciting stuff. Here we go. All right, so in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Now, in this text, there are uh, a thousand questions, right? Like you've got angelic beings showing up and talking to teen women in Galilee. You've got, uh, what's the thing, virgin uh, conception, Big deal, right? Like, that doesn't normally happen. In fact, it's real too quick TV timeout. For those of us that are still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, for those of us that are we're hearing that and we're skeptical, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you're still skeptical, you would say, as my son does, that's a little suspect. It's a little suspect. Now, I just want to bring you in, and just, I just want you to notice in the text, Mary recognizes that it's also suspect, right? She's not like, the angel's not like, hey, you're, you're a virgin, you're going to give birth to a son, and she's like, okay. Notice she says, how can this be? So Mary's not an idiot. She knows what's going on. In fact, uh, in the text, you have that dramatic tension intentionally there. So if you're feeling a little bit of a tension with, like, how does this stuff happen? Welcome. You should feel a little tension around it. Because, like, virgins don't conceive, right? Yeah, until they do. And when they do, it's something they take note of. It's the same. I mean, if I could just bring you some peace. Dead people don't rise from the dead until they do. And when they do, it's, it's something to take note of, right? Okay, so I just want to throw that out there. Okay, so let's keep going. All that to say, time-traveling tourists, they also recognized version conception and birth was strange. Okay, so that's not just a cultural thing. They also knew it was weird. All right, let's keep going. 
In this uh, text and in the subsequent song that Mary is going to sing down in verse uh, 46, there are a thousand allusions and references to what we call the Old Testament or what Mary would have just called the scriptures. And so this rich, there's, there's so much richness here. I just want to invite you, whether you want to, uh, maybe you're thinking about some of the questions around the text or want to tease out some of the allusions. Uh, today at 11 o'clock, we're going to be hosting a sermon question and response time. So uh, if you are, are, are wondering about some questions, maybe you want to have a, uh, you want to push back on something that I say up here, I'd love to have you do that. Join me here at 11 o'clock right here in this room uh, and uh, we'll have a conversation about it. So you can go after we dismiss, grab a coffee and a donut, come back in, 11 o'clock, we'll be right in here. And also I did want to say for those of you um, at our uh, who have been uh, fit, who have finished up the Rooted program? I just want to say thank you all so much uh, for participating. In that I'm super proud of you, and we have been praying for you through this journey uh, that God would bless you uh, as you've gone through the Rooted program. But I know for many of you that ends uh, last Sunday or it ends today. So I just wanted to say uh, that we're super proud of y'all and giving thanks to God for you on this journey. But also, if you don't have a place to go at 11 o'clock. Sermon question and response. By the way, do you know why it's called a question and response? Because I don't know all the answers. Gasp. You guys aren't gasping. Yeah, I don't know all the answers, but I can give a response. (laughs) So, most of the time is, for those of you guys who normally participate with this, most of the time is, I don't know, what do you think? Which is a legitimate response, I think. Okay, so let's keep going. So, so I want to zoom in on one spot. Are you guys ready? Let's zoom in on this one spot. And I want you just, again, we're time-traveling Taurus. We're remembering how Mary views the world. And I just want to notice that the angel comes to her and says, You will conceive and bear a child. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You will bear a son, and he will redeem the world. Notice, as part of uh, the uh, statement here in this declaration to Mary... Notice, he will be what? Great. Is that good? Cool. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the... Oh, that's interesting. Notice it doesn't say God. What does it say? Most high. This actually, this is, this is a frequent term for what we call God in your Bible, but we're going to get weird, okay? But not just yet. Let's just notice a few more things. And the Lord God will give to him the... That's interesting. I thought we were talking about a divine being. Right? I mean, who takes thrones, like, in the normal world? Kings and queens, right? But here we're talking about some sort of, like, God figure, some sort of divine being that's going to take the what? Throne of his father who? Oh, that's interesting. So wait, is this child... Like, God-like or human-like? Like, right? Like, it seems like he's got some sort of human characteristics, but also some kind of divine characteristic. So, so kind of this merging where, like, Yahweh is the father by the power of the spirit, but Mary is the mother in, as a human, that this, this son that's going to be born is, like, human and God. Is that weird for you? It's weird for me. However, you know who it's not weird for? Mary in the ancients, because the way they envisioned the gods, they, they understood that the gods could walk among people. You guys ever heard of like Zeus, Aphrodite, stuff like that? Okay, so this is in uh, um, uh, ancient Egypt. Did you guys ever see the mummy movie? Yeah. Um, notice I didn't ask this crowd if you had read any ancient Egyptology history books. <laughs> know your audience. Okay. <laughs> Just, 
Okay, so just notice, right, in the movie The Mummy, the, the Pharaoh is also a god. It's completely, very common for the ancients. Okay, so this child that's going to be born will reign over the house of Jacob. Okay, so the house of Jacob, that's Israel. So Jacob's name gets, turned into, gets changed to Israel, which means wrestling with God. So Jacob, uh, the house of Jacob is the people of Israel, and this son is going to reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Wait a minute, hold up. You know what happens to human kings and queens? Eventually, they die. But this throne is somehow established how long? Did you guys ever see the Sandlot? Forever. Say it with me. Forever. Okay, so this, this ruler will be on the throne and his kingdom, this is interesting, his kingdom will have no end. TV time out. You guys ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? It's a classic. Uh, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So you haven't heard it. Okay, I'll teach it to you one day. Okay. The Lord's Prayer at its core is about this. The kingdom of God doing what? Being established in which realm? Earth. Okay? Heaven and earth reuniting, which is another way to say Eden. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so number one, check this out. He will be great, and he will be called son of the... That's a weird way to talk about God, unless you live in Mary's day and have Mary's worldview. And I just, we're going to get so weird here, you're just going to have to deal with it. The, ancient, uh, the ancients understood that there was the earthly realm, and then there was the heavenly realm, or the heavens, or the divine realm. They understood, and, and by the way, if you wanted to see the divine realm, all you had to do was go outside at night and look where? Up. And you'd see the lights, and sometimes they, they would be moving around. It's the divine realm. God lives, according to the ancient mind, God, Yahweh lives in the heavens, in the heavenly realm, the divine realm. Come with me now. But he's not alone. In their understanding, there were, uh, what, if you just pardon me, ancient Hebrew, the Elohim, or what we would maybe refer to as like divine beings, or uh, maybe, I guess, a, a, a crass way to say it would be like little g gods, that there was the divine council. And you'll, you'll get this all throughout your Hebrew, Hebrew Bible where God is speaking to someone in the divine realm, like what should we do? It's this idea of a divine council. Think about these uh, movies that you've seen where, where there's a king holding court and there's all these uh, people in his court and he's saying, what should we do, right? It's a very similar understanding. Now, here's the deal. You, you got questions about it? Ask me at the question and response time. I love this stuff, but we're gonna have to keep moving. Just notice this, that he is the, well, so there's all these divine beings that are high and lifted up but there's one that is, he's the God of gods. You with me so far? He's the king of kings and lord of, 
He's the boss of all the divine beings. Now, here's why this matters, okay? I know this is so strange for us, time-traveling tourists. Watch this now. In Mary's mind, in the mind of her people, and in fact, the mind of most ancients, to the best that we can tell, when they saw an earthly king, so here's the earthly king, right? Uh, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, whoever it might be, Artaxerxes, when they saw Caesar, when they saw an earthly king in the human, in the earthly realm, they understood that there was some form of connection to the Elohim or the gods or the deities or the divine beings that exist in the heavenly realm. Now, how all that works, I I don't quite know, but that's how they viewed the world. They recognized that earthly powers, principalities, rulers, and authorities were somehow tethered to a divine reality and a divine power source. And so when the earthly kings were doing injustice and evil, they recognized it as a manifestation of what we might call spiritual evil. But there's some power force there. Are, you, are we weirded out? Okay, just notice. Do you know what the ancient kings often demanded their people do? Worship them as what? As gods. In fact, Caesar Augustus was called by many of these names. The savior of the world was Caesar. The king of kings was Caesar. And so in Mary's mind, she recognizes that this one, this son, she's being told he'll be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne. So in Mary's mind, this is not a problem because when you see an earthly throne, it's got connection to divine power. Can we take a little TV time out? I just want to push on you. just want to push your imagination out a little bit, Okay. Uh, are you familiar with money? Some of us would like to become more familiar with money in all of its denominations, and yet we're familiar as a consumeristic, capitalistic, individualistic culture, we're quite familiar with money. And in fact, in this community, we say things like money is money's power. Oh, that's interesting. And you know, there's this uh, time where Jesus says, you cannot worship two masters. You can either worship God or you can worship another God. Namely, what he would refer to as mammon, which is money deified. And so let me just push on you a little bit. Does money have power? In actual lived life, is there ways that money can call for our allegiances? Is there ways that we could give our whole life to money? To put it another way, can money be a God that we serve? So you already have a glimpse of this understanding that every time you see a physical reality or leader or king, there is a divine or spiritual connection and power source to it. In English, in modern English, we just don't have the words for this stuff. But if you'll pardon me, I would refer, I think the closest that we've got is systemic evil. That evil exists not just within one individual, but in whole systems, in whole frameworks. There's a real power there. 
And I think that Mary understands this to be the case. And so this is what's told to Mary, and look at, let's look at her response. Okay, so we're going to go now uh, to Mary's song. This is in Luke 1, 46 through 55, and I just want you to follow along with me because I want to invite you in, not necessarily to study the text, although I think that's really important, and I'll draw a few things out. I want to invite you to let this song be a prayer for you. I want to invite you not so much to study the text, but to feel the text, to feel and embrace Mary's song. We do this with most music, don't we? You guys ever had a favorite song, but you only knew half the lyrics, right? And sometimes the lyrics are, are, are really, really important to us, but what's happening to us is the, the power of it is working on us. And so I just want to invite you to let the power of Mary's song work on you. Now, remember, Mary's been told that this son of hers, which will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the son that she will give birth to, is of a kingdom that will have no end, that he will have the throne of God on earth as it is in heaven. And notice Mary's response. Remember Mary's context, right? Roman Empire is ruling over. She is a poor, rural, young woman. And this is Mary's response. By the way, this is dripping with what we call Old Testament, with Old Testament allusions. It seems quite clear that Mary knew her Bible. Mary said, my soul magnifies whom? Uh, by the way, this is called the, uh, sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, which in um, Latin is that first phrase, my soul magnifies, magnifies. My soul makes much of. My soul zooms in on the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my... Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to answer it. Save from What? Now, I'm not saying in your 2,000 years later fully formed theological minds. I mean in her mind. Say from what? Just keep that question in your mind. My God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the of, she self-identifies as what? A servant in what type of condition? Humble or lowly? or marginalized, or outcast. Her humble condition. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because, why, he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, this is really interesting, all generations, that's you and me, will call me blessed because the mighty one has done what? Great things. Now this is interesting. What things has the mighty one done so far? Just in the context of the narrative, she's still pregnant. So what mighty things? Now I, I would just notice that she may be 
thinking about all the things that God has been doing to her people up until that point. It could be that she legitimately is looking, even as a woman in humble estate, she could just be simply looking at her own life and saying, God has done many great things for me. It could be that she's looking forward to the fulfilled promises of God that she has not yet tasted, but because of her faith in God's power, she's counting them as guaranteed, even though she hasn't tasted it yet. God has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from what? Generation to, to put it another way, His mercy is from before time began to this very day. His mercy is new every morning. It's from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has, now this is really interesting. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. Scattered the proud Under whose empire is Mary living? Has he scattered the proud? Is Mary looking at her present state or what's guaranteed in the future, even though she hasn't tasted it yet? Mary, as an oppressed, marginalized, rural, now pregnant woman, is saying, God has scattered the proud. If you'll just pardon me for a moment to jump ahead, notice that it's the Romans who murder her son. And yet in this song, she says he scattered the proud. But the proud seem to keep winning. How is it she's saying this? He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Now, All my punk rock fans, she's not advocating anarchy in the UK, okay? Notice she's elevating the kingship of Jesus, and one of the responses or one of the effects of the kingship of Jesus is that the prideful lifted up are brought low, and the lonely are what? Lifted up. Mary is of which category? the lowly being lifted up. Now, I just want you to remember, okay, this is so important to remember. How did the ancient mind understand the thrones of this world as it's connected to the thrones above? Were they tethered? They were tethered. And so what Mary likely is showing here is she recognizes a physical and spiritual reality That the sonship or the kingship of Jesus, the on earth as it is in heaven-ness, dethrones evil in all of its manifestations, spiritual and physical. By the way, is this not good news for people who live under evil kings? Christmas is a celebration of light bursting into what? Darkness. And Mary understands that this darkness is physical, spiritual, economic, relational, in all of its forms. 
He has satisfied the hungry with good things, and he sent away the rich empty. Very interesting. You actually see this come to fruition in microcosms in Jesus' ministry. Do you remember there was about 5,000 people out in the wilderness one day listening to Jesus, and you know what he did? He fed them. And are you perhaps even familiar that there was once a rich ruler who came to Jesus and wanted to follow him, but he refused to give up his allegiance to wealth, and you know what Jesus did? He said, if you can't let go, you can't follow me. You can't serve God and money. And so the rich were turned away. And this doesn't mean, hold on now, this doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't embrace the wealthy. Of course he does. But he cannot embrace the wealthy who continue to embrace other gods. See, this is repentance, by the way. Repentance is relinquishing our allegiances to the things of this world and turning back to Jesus. But you can't be shackled to both. And so here in this text, Mary is saying he's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty. This idea of a cosmic throne, this is all throughout your Bible. By the way, for those of you who are familiar with the practice of nonviolent resistance, this is core. Mary is not saying, let's take up arms and go kill all the bad kings. And then we'll finally establish our king. You know when people do that, you know what happens to the new king? They're usually not good kings either. This endless cycle of violent resistance is shown to be unwise and unloving throughout Scripture. But here, what Mary is advocating for is not the destruction of people, but the destruction of the spiritual rulers, powers, principalities, and authorities that tether themselves to earthly realities. To put it another way, death is dead, evil is conquered. I'll just prove it to you real quick. Colossians 1, uh, 16 says this, speaking of Jesus, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Put it another way, Jesus is the boss. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle, hold on now. If you're a Jesus follower and you hear people using Jesus to incite violence, this is, you gotta zoom in here. By the way, has that ever happened? People using God's name to uh, lead us to violent behavior? Yep, just read a Western Civ book. Okay, check this out. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavenlies. My fight isn't against Caesar. It's against the evil one that's leveraging Caesar's power. Are you with me so far? So if you kill Caesar, what do you get? A new Caesar. And here's the other thing too. I can't kill evil. Neither can you. But you know where Mary points to for the ultimate dethroning of evil? God in the flesh. She sees in Jesus the upside-down kingdom has come. Notice what she says here. He, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Notice the language, remembering his mercy. As you're hearing Mary's song, 
What does it mean to you that God remembers his mercy, which we just saw a moment ago is from generation to generation? Mary's song reminds us that God remembers his mercy, not just to Mary, but to you. Mary reminds us that we can rest in and even sing about the promises of God that have yet to be fulfilled because God is true. Mary's song reminds us that Jesus is not just a babe in a manger, but a king who conquers Satan's sin and death. And he's the one who promises to never leave us or forsake us. Advent is a season of reflection. And I'm going to invite you to take this time to reflect on Mary's song. As we light the Advent candles, we remind ourselves of our hopes and our longings, our deepest desires. We lament the darkness that we see in the world and we lament the darkness that we see in ourselves. And even in the midst of understanding this darkness, we desire. We desire a salvation, a redemption. And so I'll light this candle, and then I want to invite you to consider just a few questions of reflection today. If it's helpful to close your eyes, I'd invite you to do that. We're not going to do anything weird. I just want to give you a few questions to consider. And then I'll read Mary's song again. My invitation to you this morning is to allow these questions to be invitations to deeper thought, to a soulful reflection, perhaps even to a quiet prayer. And so I'll lead us through these questions. I would invite you to leave the distractions of the day behind. They'll be waiting for you when we're done. I would invite you to just rest right now in the very presence of the living God. I would encourage you with the truth that Jesus is nearer to you than you are to your own self. His presence is even here with us now. So I ask and invite you to consider your humble condition. Where is your soul now in this moment? Perhaps our souls, we might use words like weary or sad, fearful or confused, exhausted or full of wonder. Perhaps some of us may use words like empty or longing. Regardless of where you are now in your humble condition, 
remember that the Lord looks upon you with favor. And just as Mary recognized the darkness around her, what darkness are you sensing? Perhaps in the quiet of your own mind and heart, would you take that darkness to the Lord in prayer? And as you consider this darkness, what is your heart longing for God to do? reflect upon our humble condition, we consider the darkness that we see in the world or in ourselves as our hearts long and ache for God to do a work. What hope might you find in Mary's song? The song of a poor pregnant teenager living under the oppressive regime of Rome longing for light to come into darkness would you consider her song once more she says my soul my soul praises the greatness of the Lord my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will be blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who would fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his outstretched arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. As you consider the words of Mary's song, I invite you to take before the Lord your longing, your desires, your disappointments, and your needs. And that through Mary's words, you might find hope in the one who brings to us life 
and life abundant. Let's take a moment quietly in our seats, reflect on these words, and pray. Lord Most High, in this moment, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, instill within us a hope-filled longing that ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. Lord Jesus, we recognize your presence here with us now. Would you fulfill the desires of our hearts in as much as they align with yours? In this season of anticipation and longing, would you empower us day by day and moment by moment to entrust ourselves, our longings, our desires, and our needs to you. And when the darkness feels like it is surrounding us, may we be a people who with full confidence and trust sing Mary's prayer and song. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.